This is a message from the audio library of Revival Tabernacle. It is our hope that it will inspire your confidence in our holy God and the plan of salvation as revealed in his holy scriptures. The blessings of Christ be upon you as you listen. This morning, in Hebrews 11, I want to teach briefly about men with vision. We know that it's Father's Day. But I want to say some things about men with vision. God certainly expects our men to have vision. We know that Proverbs tells us that without a vision, the people perish. Hebrews 11, verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, Father, for a few moments, I pray as we teach this word, let faith be imparted in a strong way, but along with faith, let vision be given to everybody under the sound of my voice. We're grateful for what all you placed in the word of God. But help us to see that our circumstances are insignificant in light of your ability. God, we're going to praise you forever and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. Vision is important, and without it, individuals don't succeed. They don't go forward. They tend to spin their wheels. Reason vision is important is because you need not only foresight, but you need insight. You need insight because you need to understand how things work that God is trying to do in your particular life. And, of course, foresight is needed because you need to see what the consequences of your decision can actually bring to pass. In Hebrews 11, as we've been studying this, this is part of a longer discussion on the benefits of believing God. And as we've looked into this, we have studied the lives of people who have shown confidence in God, relied upon God, trusted in God, and what that trust looks like. There are plenty of people that say they have faith in God. But sometimes the people that say they have faith in God won't live for God. And I want you to understand that to be a Christian means to... Order your steps and your lifestyle in accordance with what is written in the book. Now, on your job, I can assure you that there are a set of protocols by which you have to abide. Whatever kind of job you have, whoever you work for, there are probably times that you have to arrive to work, times you can take a break, times that you can get off. There's a time when you can punch in. They may even have a dress code. There may be certain things with respect to your language. You have to be careful about saying. You can't say to someone, well, you really do look nice. I mean, they may claim that as some form of harassment. So there are protocols that are in place, and if you want to benefit from that job, you're going to have to follow their particular principles and statutes, and the same thing functions in the kingdom of God. Not the same principles and statutes, but the same methodology. If you want to enjoy 
the blessings of God and the things that God has provided for you, you've got to know what the good book says. And if you don't take the time to read it, you won't know how you're supposed to live. And plenty of people have spent year after year spinning their wheels, and after 30 years in church, 40 years in church, 50 years in church, they're still mean as a junkyard dog, have never changed an attitude, know very little of God. Being in church doesn't give you a vision. Being in church will not make you holy, but reading the book and applying the book will give you opportunities for God to give you a new set of faculties to envision things you've never seen before. And the one thing I do know about God is when God looks at a circumstance that is seemingly impossible, and I put the emphasis on seemingly, that means it appears to you to be impossible, but it does not mean it's impossible for God. The Bible says with God, all things are possible. Now, how many times have you transitioned in your life and had to start a new season and you wondered how in the world God would ever get you another job? Or how in the Lord would the Lord ever bring someone else into your life that would bring you joy? Or how would God ever help you to move from one location to another without it adversely affecting you? But yet as you walk with God, you find that his ways to us, even though sometimes we don't understand them, his ways are marvelous and wonderful. And when you look back, you realize the reason he took us from faith to faith and from glory to glory is because if he would have shown you everything in the beginning you would have had to go through before you went through them, you probably would not have moved forward. So God gives you just enough to walk with him. Well, in verse 13, then, as we have read, you can see that the preceding verses have us thinking about Enoch, have us thinking about the Cain and Abel situation, as well as Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And so far, we have studied a number of men, but we also looked at some women of faith on Mother's Day. Because it does tell us in verse 31, there's a lady named Rahab, and it tells us in verse 35, there are women that receive their dead to life again. So the scriptures use men and women as examples of faith. But verse 13 is important. These all died. That means even these patriarchs and matriarchs of trust in God they're not eternal in their physical body. Everybody dies. That's one of the most difficult things in life to have to deal with. You have a best friend. You have a good friend. You have an enemy. They don't live forever. Look at how life progresses presently. The older you get, it seems like your attendance at funerals becomes more frequent. When you were in your 20s, you didn't even really think about funerals at all, unless it was for somebody in your family. But once you start hitting your late 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, seems like every other week you're having to go to a funeral. And if you make it to your 90s and even above, you pretty much outlived most of your friends. But the Scripture here tells us these all died, and when people die, it's not easy. It isn't. Adam lived to be 
930 years, the Bible says. And Genesis chapter 5, verse 4 says, Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. We always study the men in the lineage. We always look at the patriarchal side, but let's not forget that Adam and Eve had daughters also, and it's because what they put in those girls and in those women that Noah had a wife that he could choose one day. I mean, after all, Noah had a family that loved God, and they all ended up on the ark. Well, every man that has a woman that loves God should be very pleased by that. But Adam, because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, was put out of the garden, and in the judgment of God, he was kept from ever entering the garden again. However, you don't read again about Adam committing another sin. You don't. You read about his son committing another sin. And I'm sure Adam told his seed what it must have been like to be in the garden, and that story was taken down from one generation to the next generation, and what they saw, what they experienced with God, all of that became the vision for the succeeding generation. And what they heard through the words of Adam and Eve became the story that they shared with their children and their grandchildren. How do we instill vision in the next generation? Tell them what you've seen. People often wonder why I share so many testimonies, because I want people to have a vision of what God is able to do through what God has done. Do you know how powerful that must have been for Moses and the children of Israel to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and on both sides of them you've got walls of water, and as they're walking, they're experiencing something no one else before them had ever experienced, and no one after them had ever experienced. And had it not been recorded in the book, we wouldn't even have a record of it. So there are some things that you and a handful of others may go through or experience that other people may never go through. But that story needs to be told, you see. Having gone through what Moses went through from the plagues in Egypt right on to the hand of God upon them for 40 years in the wilderness, even Moses died. Now, you may have loved your mom. You may have loved your grandpa even more. You may have had a neighbor that was like a parent to you. But they died because everybody passes. It's appointed unto men to die once, then the judgment. But notice in verse 13, it tells us how they died. These all died in doubt and fear and unbelief. Does it say that? It says they died in what? In faith. So now we learn this is the manner in which we should lay down this physical carcass. This is how we should leave planet Earth in faith, believing in God. Not an atheist, not an agnostic, not somebody that's saying, well, I'm not really sure if there is a God because there's suffering in the world, and I'm not sure if there is a God because there's so much wickedness in the world, and I'm not sure if there is a God because there's so many calamities and tragedies in the world. No, no, that's not how we leave. These all died in faith. So what do I do while I'm alive so that I can be prepared for how I die? I learn to live in faith and believe. And I listen to those things that encourage and foster and nurture my faith in God. 
It's important. Yeah, we, we hear stories all the time about people who, who have great faith in God and great trust in God, but people should hear stories about you and your faith in God. If I were to interview some of your family members, would your family members tell me about your faith in God? Would, would the people closest to you be able to say, here is a woman that loves the king? They should. They should. These all died in faith. My parents didn't encourage my faith when I became a Christian. My siblings didn't encourage my faith when I became a Christian. There were people trying to discourage me from becoming, or I should say, living as a Christian. We just weren't Christian people. I wasn't raised like you folks in Sunday school and generations of people that knew God. We were heathen. We didn't know anything about God. Oh, the brothers were selling drugs and all kinds of things, involved with bad stuff. However, when Christ came to me and I came to know who, who he was, I, I realized that my life was on the wrong track, and the only way I can get it on track is through Jesus. The only way I can keep it on track is through Jesus. So I needed to be on a path that was going to have me doing things that's going to cause my faith to grow in God because I'd already seen life without God. I saw it in my family. Divorce, fighting, cussing, people in trouble, people doing time in jail. I'd already seen all of that. So if I've had a vision of what life in unbelief is like, if I become a Christian and I want to live a totally different life, then God's got to give me a new vision. And the only way to get a new vision, I've got to have my faith, faith, in, faith in the book because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I don't care how bad your family is or how bad your community is, you can live on a different path if you want to. It takes discipline. And you can have a life that goes in a totally different direction than anybody in your family. Now, I have people in my family that cuss like a sailor and go to church and make all kind of noise talking about how much they love God. They weren't living anything. I knew that wasn't the life I wanted. So I wanted to find some examples of people that loved the king. As a teenager, I had long Sunday church services where I went to church. I didn't have a car, so I had to catch a ride. So that meant I went to church early in the morning, and I didn't come home till later in the evening. I was there all the time. But before I went to church, and sometimes when I got home, I still would listen to preachers on television. In those days, in Ohio, I could turn on the, the uh, television in the morning and always I could get on a Sunday morning before I went to church, Rex Humbard in the Cathedral of Tomorrow. He was only 40 miles away in Akron. So the Humbard singers and all of them, he always gave a great gospel message. Now, his his uh, his wife, Maud Amy, was named after Amy Simple McPherson. 
So I'd lay there in bed and I'd watch Rex Humbard on that television and I'm getting myself all pumped up and excited. And, and being as young as I was, I didn't understand all the different types of beliefs amongst Christianity and the differences. And then I'd also look at, there was a man came on whose name was D. James Kennedy in the Coral Ridge Hour. I'd listen to him and what he was preaching on. Then they had another gentleman that that would come on, and he sometimes would be sitting there interviewing different people, and then they'd show pictures and images and videos from his crusade, and that'd be Oral Roberts, and he'd be on preaching and watching and laying hands on sick, praying for people. And then there was one more that I watched, because I always liked how energetic and entertaining he was, and that was Jimmy Swaggart. So, yeah, I have my VCR set. I'm hitting play, I mean record, so that when I get home throughout the week, I could see all of this. But what always struck me with these gentlemen was that they just didn't talk like the average local church pastor. I mean, my pastor, he was a, he was a good minister. I loved him, really did. And good word, he knew how to shepherd that congregation. But he never talked about traveling overseas. He never talked about casting out devils. He, he, he didn't get into anything like that. He was married to the denomination that we were a part of. That was the most important thing. I, I'd listen to these other people, and I'd sit there, and I've got images and pictures of people in South America. I mean, crusades, thousands and thousands of people out there. There's somebody under a tent. They're praying for the sick. I'm watching all of this, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there's a whole world out there that I don't know anything about. And the only way I'm going to be able to get from Cleveland, Ohio, to anywhere where these folks are, I've got to have a game plan. So my game plan, I didn't have any money. I didn't know how to get out there. I just knew because my brothers were in the military, if I joined the military, they would pay me to go around the world. So that was my plan. That was my plan. Get paid to preach the gospel around the world at the government expense. Oh, I loved it. That was my plan. So that's what I did. And, and my faith continued to grow because of what I saw and what I experienced. And this is why we're able to share so much with you. And even in our churches out here in, in rural America, our churches are all different from other churches because of who we are. See? Because of who we are. Well, look at verse 13 again. These all died in faith. Pastor Darrell, how will you die? In faith. Congregation, how will you die? In faith. You're going to trust God right up to the end. There was a popular preacher from Britain years ago. He was born in 1859, died in 1947, named Smith Wigglesworth. Mr. Wigglesworth trusted God. He believed in God. The latter years of his life, when he was in his late 80s, he was still preaching the gospel, somewhat feebler, but he was still traveling, preaching, praying for the sick. Lives were being changed. Well, on the day that he died, he had gone to a funeral, and he went to attend because his friend 
had died. And so he gets to the church. He's back there with the preachers in the vestibule area, and he inquires about another person. And they explain to him a few things about that person. And then right there in that vestibule, he fell into the arms of the preacher he was talking to, and he died. How did he die? In faith? Yeah, in faith. Trust in God. My pastor's mother, growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, the, the, the pastor of our church, he came from a big family. He tells the story of how his mother went home to be with Jesus. On every Sunday, all of the siblings gathered at his mother's house for a meal. Didn't matter. Just didn't matter what was going on, holiday or whatever. You went to mama's house with pops and your kids and grandkids, and they were there. That's just the, the way it was. He said she was sitting at the table one day elderly, and she was sitting there, and she said to her older kids there, children, I believe I'm going home to be with the Lord today. And, of course, when she said that, they thought, okay, Mama's getting older. <laughs> okay, so she, you know, she's missing it here and there. She's breaking up just a little bit, just a little bit. And so they, they got to where they started clearing the table and people carrying stuff in the uh, kitchen and everything, and she's... She gets up, she goes out on the front porch, sits out there in a rocking chair, and just starts sitting there rocking, and she starts singing. Okay? And, and so when, when they came out there after a few minutes, the rocking chair is still going back and forth, but she's gone. She's dead. The last thing they heard her say was, children, I see the Lord standing out here beckoning for me to come. And when they got out there, she was gone. How did she die? In faith. In faith. And, and there are a lot of ways to die. We don't want to be like people who die cursing and screaming and angry and mad and upset. We want to die in faith. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Okay, so verse 13, it tells us they hadn't, they not having received the promises. Now verse number Nine tells us that by faith, Abraham lived in the land of promise. And then it says he lived with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the heirs of promise lived in the land of promise, but they never received it as their land. The Hittites and Canaanites were still there. Now, they, they were given the promise, but the promise actually came into effect when Joshua and them crossed the river. But verse 13 says they didn't receive the promise. And even though they didn't receive the promise, they still died in faith because they were given the promissory note that it would come to pass, and they trusted that what God said would come to pass. Do you know how many mothers and fathers have left this planet not having seen their sons and daughters get saved? And after they're gone, the sons and daughters and grandchildren get saved. They read in the book. They saw it, and they received the promise from God. And the promise given to them was something they held on to. They said, I'm believing God. He's going to do it. And they died in faith, believing their children would come to Christ. And I've seen them get saved at mom and dad's funeral. I've seen them get saved years later. You say, why? 
because them prayers of mom and dad just kind of lingered before the throne. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, not having received the promise. But yeah, there are people who've held out and seen them come to faith while they're alive. Now, Charlie Greenaway may have been one of the best evangelists or missionaries that the Assemblies of God ever had. He went to over 170 countries, pioneered over a thousand churches in West Africa, and took the gospel to 13 tribes that never heard the gospel until he showed up with his wife and his kids back in the 40s and 50s. Well, he tells the story of how his younger brother was raised in Pentecostal church, filled with the Holy Spirit, full gospel church. But World War II came along, and his younger brother was sent off to the war and said he don't know what happened. But when he came back from that war, he never darkened the door of the church again. Said he used to play the trumpet in the church band. They could not get him to go to church for anything in the world. He got married, had kids, raised his kids outside of church. His kids never went to church unless they went with the other family members. Nobody ever knew what happened. He would never talk about anything. And Brother Greenaway said he was talking with his mother one day and said, Mama, what are we going to do? He doesn't want to serve God. He's not interested in God. She said, keep praying. Just believe God. It's not as bad as it seems. God's going to do this for us. Well, they kept praying. The more they prayed, the worse she got. They kept praying. He called his mom and said, look, what are we going to do? He said, she said, look, I'm telling you. What I've told you in the past, God cannot lie. He promised my boy is going to be saved. That's what she said to her son. Well, this man, Charlie, was in Springfield one day getting ready to take a flight going overseas for some business, and he walked out of the office. Secretary called him back in and said, Brother Greenway, you need to come in here. It's a very important phone call. He walks in. He discovers that his brother dropped dead, and he needs to get there. And so he said he's standing there, and he's just weeping and crying because he, he, he knows that, you know, he can't do anything for his brother. He's gone, but he's weeping and crying for a mama that prayed for the salvation of her boy, and now he's gone. So he made the arrangements, called the, the funeral place over in Massachusetts somewhere, and he said, look, I can't stay for the funeral. I'm on my way over to France or wherever he was going. He said, but prepare the body. I'm stopping there. I want to see my brother before I leave. They said, we'll have him ready. Sure enough, he got to the funeral home, had that body over there in the corner. He went over there, stood there, wept and cried, thinking of the memories, thinking of the relationship, thinking of Jesus, what he had been in this man's life, and thinking of a broken-hearted mama. And he said, while he was standing there, he didn't even know his sister-in-law was in the back. And she was in the back of that little uh, chapel area of the funeral home, and she said, Charlie, come over here. Maybe I can, you can tell me about some of this. I don't understand any of this stuff. And he said, well, what happened? He said, well, my husband, your brother, said he'd just been acting strange the last few days. said, you know, before he died, said he did something I'd never seen him do before. He said he normally goes in there and Kisses the boys. Good night, says goodbye to them. That's what he did. It was 11 o'clock or so at night. 
said goodbye to them and kissed them. Said, but he came and he normally just gets in bed and goes to sleep. But he said, she said this time, before he got in bed, he got down on his knees and started praying. She said, I've never in my life even seen that man pray. And she said, the, the strangest thing, he climbed in the bed and said, while laying in the bed next to me, said he, he lifted his hands, and when he lifted his hands in the bed, she said, I, I, I didn't know your brother knew another language. And there he is praying in the Holy Spirit. He said, 5 o'clock that next morning, he gets up, goes out, gets in the car to get ready to go to work, and she said, soon as he turned the ignition, put his head down on that steering wheel and died. He was dead. Well, of course, he couldn't wait to get get on that telephone and call Mama and tell, tell her that story. <laughs> and he called his mother. He said, Mom, just want to tell you it's not as bad as I thought it was. She said, I know it. He said, how do you know it? She said, how many times do I have to tell you God doesn't lie? He gave me a promise the boys would be saved. So here is a man that even though he went through some difficulty in his adult years, he died in faith. Fathers, mothers, don't give up. Keep praying. And don't ever allow your child or grandchild's actions or attitudes lead you to believe that they're bigger than the God you're praying to. God can turn that thing around just like that. Not having received the promises. However, they saw them afar off. You see? Here's the vision. Here are men and women with, with vision. They, they saw them. They knew that God had made the promise. They could see the promise fulfilled. That's important. When you're witnessing to someone, you have to be able to see them as somebody sitting in the church next to you, worshiping and praising God one day in the future. When you're talking to someone who may be anything from homeless to on drugs or involved with gangs or just lazy, you have to be able to see that if Jesus could get into that life, he could turn that life around just like that. Now, you've got to be able to believe it and see it before it happens. That's what faith is. Having seen them afar off, that means they, they had to wait a little bit. Yeah, Abraham, he trusted God for a long time. Remember, they wanted a baby for a long time. And in old age, he and Sarah received a baby, and he left home at 75. He died at 175. So that means for a century, Abraham lived in a tent. How would you like to live that way for a long time? Well, he did. Having seen them afar off, people who have experienced the power of God, and then it says were persuaded of them. When you're fully persuaded, nobody can change your mind. You know that? When you're fully persuaded. If, if you have made up in your mind that you are determined to do a thing, it is difficult to get you to deter from that. Very hard. 
And the Bible says of Abraham in the book of Romans that being fully persuaded in his mind that God would perform this thing, he didn't care what any Hittite said. He didn't care what a family member said. He didn't care what anybody said. He knew this is what God had promised, and this is what God's going to do. You have to be the same way, fully persuaded. You can't live your life based on fear. And how many times have you heard people say, well, you know, I was, I was thinking about getting married, but I'm just not sure that, that we ought to get married because so many people in this world get divorced. Well, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with you? Or, or people who say, well, you know, I, I go to church, but, you know, I, I've been hurt so many times when I've gone to church. Well, get over it. Everybody's been hurt by somebody. Get back in the church, be fully persuaded that God's a healer, he'll heal your broken heart, and have you walk in with him. But be persuaded in your own mind. Even if other people don't want to go, if your closest friends and family members don't want to be dedicated as you, you be fully persuaded. You got one shot, dads, at raising your kids, moms, grandparents, one shot at raising them. One shot, and then they're adults. And then once they become adults, they're going to do their own thing. So you have one opportunity to put an anchor inside of them that is so strong that it can grip the rock of God's Word. And when the storms of life are blowing back and forth, they'll still be there when the storm passes. Now you can say, well, I'm just going to believe that, you know, they'll just make it on their own and I'm going to let every child choose their own religion and I'm not going to be so intimidating that I force feed them my own personal beliefs. You can go through all of that foolishness if you want to, but in the end you're going to destroy someone. Because I guarantee you the American government doesn't mind force feeding your kids what they want them to believe. I told him in Sunday school this morning, I, we were in uh, California this past week. They had these little, they showed this little cartoon book. And in that little cartoon book that they're introducing to little kids that are in elementary school, it had seven and eight year olds in the little cartoon characters. And they were performing oral procedures on one another in a little book. And this is what they're teaching the kids. And somebody says, well, I just think children ought to be raised to learn their own religion. Are you kidding me? Now, I know when some toddlers are stumbling around at two or three, you know, there's some, some little kids, you know, probably one of yours were like that. They just they don't like clothing. They may not even like shoes. Every chance they get, they just want to run around bare feet or want to run around with nothing on. But you know, when this time, when they had to go to public school, did you let them go to school looking like anything? There was no way on this planet you would have said to your little four or five or six-year-old, okay, first day of school, and they would say, I don't want to wear any clothing. There's no way on the planet you would have let that happen. But this is what people are saying today, basically, when they say, let the kid make the decision about their faith. If you know anything about God, if you know anything about Jesus, you make sure you get that inside of them as early as possible. Because the root of that is going to produce fruit later on in life. Otherwise, they'll be fully persuaded about other things. Yeah, fully persuaded about other things. Well, let me say this to finish up. We need to walk with people that will teach us the truth of God's Word. It's important to, to see that God is bigger, you know. And I think the reason that 
Elijah was the way that he was was because he spent time with God. And I think the sons of the prophets spent time with Elijah, maybe Elijah. That's why they were the way they were. If if you run with pygmies in their faith, you'll be a pygmy in your faith. If you run with people that have strong faith and believe God for big things, you'll be that way. You've got to pick and choose the kind of folks you, you run with. So in 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 the, the kinds of ministries and ministers that I like, whenever people have asked me what kind of preachers appeal to you, they, they've typically been people that have been more apostolic, more international, involved with more church planting. I mean, just people who teach the Bible, that's never really appealed to me. Nothing wrong with that. But I've always been interested in people who said, let's take a hard situation and go into it and try to give birth to the life of God and see God do something. That's always attracted me. Or, or, or somebody who, who had a vision to do something bigger and better. you know. And, and that, that's what I think enlarges the hearts of Christians. When Tiffany and I... Before we were married and she was down at ORU, I still remember the first time I went down there to visit her and she's taking me around that campus, showing me that, that campus. And I'm looking at all them big buildings. I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, all this comes out of a man traveling and preaching the gospel. See? Preaching the gospel. And and when, when other people were, were, were calling him every kind of name you can think of and calling him a charlatan or whatever else, I mean, here they are. They're sitting around dividing up the bills in the church between two or three families to see who's going to pay the utilities and the light bill. And this man is, is believing God for millions of dollars every month. See? When we were down at, at Jimmy Swaggart's, when I wasn't traveling, I worked in the ministry down there. And, and I had a key to every room or every building on that place. And I'd work in security or in the mail room or wherever I needed to work. But I did, I, I did a few things I probably shouldn't have done. Because I found out where the archives were with all the old real tapes and all that. And, and when I was on the clock, I'd go into that room with them archives where, and I'd turn them videos on and I'd watch Jimmy preaching all around the world. I stand there sometime for a half hour looking at that. I said, oh, my goodness, I better get back on the job here. Then next time I worked, I, I went right back in that room again, and I was looking at all of them people that he was preaching to. Yeah. And then the, the morning prayer meetings, 10 a.m., 6 p.m. I was in every one of them, every one of them. He'd come in, and he'd say, look, we, we need a miracle. And then he'd tell however many of us were in that prayer meeting, he said, we need a miracle. What, what, what are we believing for? I've got to have a million and a half dollars by the end of the day to payroll or whatever. Or got to have two or three million. And, you know, we, we'd pray, of course, and then afterwards the thing I'm thinking about is, here's a man believing God for a million and a half dollars at the end of the day, and then here there are other people running around here just, just trying to pray for $500. This, this man's vision and ministry was just so much bigger. And then when I went on radio down there, they was preaching in the church. And 
Then when he'd be traveling, he'd ask me to teach the prayer meet. Then I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I'm standing here doing ministry in a place for a man I used to watch on television when I was 13 and 14 years of age. You see? Preaching in a Bible college. That kind of a thing. But, but here's what I'm getting at. Despite all of what the ministry went through down there, because of his own sin, he was always fully persuaded that God had called him to be an evangelist and to be on television. And here just a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, as far as records go, uh, I think he just broke the record of the longest evangelist ever on television, more than 50 years consistently on television because he was fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, what are you persuaded about when it comes to God? Yeah, what are you persuaded about? Last summer, uh, we had our missions conference down in Texas. And so some of you see him on television from time to time, Andrew Womack. So he, uh, one of our other friends had invited him to come down there to that conference. Well, he came in, heard me in one of our sessions. Afterwards, I was talking with him. Then he came to our mission session. I run the mission stuff. He enjoyed that, was impressed by that. He said, come on out to where we are. Let's have a meal, fellowship, have some coffee. But he said, I don't drink coffee. I said, well, I won't hold that against you. And we, we, we went on out there and, and, and fellowship. And when he took us all around the ministry, in every building, in every room, everything, showing us all that stuff, explaining what everything costs, the stuff he's working on. The thing I kept coming back to was here are so many men and women on the planet that are carrying nations on their shoulders, and we've got people that are sitting around arguing like pygmies over things that don't really matter. What kind of ministry do we want to be as a church? Yeah. If we really want to reach South Central Nebraska, Northwestern Kansas, then we've got to be a people that trust God and believe God. And God that moves for others will continue to move for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's stand. What a mighty God. What a mighty God. What a mighty God. Oh, it's good to have a Savior, isn't it? Amen. Good to have somebody that knows the king. These all died in faith, so I know how we're leaving this planet, trusting him, believing in him, and honoring him. There's nobody like him in all the world. Father, how wonderful it is to be able to come in contact with you who made the heavens and the earth. We thank you, God, your anointing is real. We thank you for the vision and purpose that you have implanted in all of our hearts through the teaching of your word today. Help all of our dads and men to have a vision for their home that's bigger than what they had as we began today. Pray for every one of our young ladies. Give them a perspective that's so different than their family members or their coworkers. God, for the little babies that call this place their home, for the young people that are being raised in this place, Lord, help us to instill in them the values of your word so that they can be strong witnesses for you. 
And God, we're thanking you in advance for the wonderful harvest of souls because we've received the promise and we can see them, oh God, not afar off, but we can see them close, close by. So, Father, we pray for all of those that are not here today. We pray that they would be strong witnesses for you. We're praying, oh God, for the families that will attend in the future who don't know that they will be attending here. They'll be right here worshiping and praising your name. Help us every day to grow in grace and in knowledge. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, 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 amen. Happy. You have been listening to Pastor and Evangelist Daryl Sutton. For more information, you may write to P.O. Box 362, Red Cloud, Nebraska, 68970. Again, the address is P.O. Box 362, Red Cloud, Nebraska, 68970. We appreciate your taking the time to listen. God bless you. May the Lord continue to enrich you through His Word.